We're in Ezra chapter 3. Just to recap very, very quickly, in the book of Ezra, recall Israel was now allowed to go back into the land after 70 plus years of captivity. They were taken captive because God had told them they were rebelling against him. All you need to do is read the book of Jeremiah and you'll see that very, very nicely. The last two kingdoms, the, the last kingdom of Benjamin and Judah had rejected God's uh, Zerubbabel, uh, not Zerubbabel, uh, Jeremiah went in, prophesied for 40 years and the people didn't repent. So God said, I'm going to take you out of that land and he did that. After 70 years of captivity in Babylon, Assyria, the northern uh, section, after seven years of captivity, God said, it's time for me to send my people back into the land. And he stirred up the heart of Xerxes to do that. Their only task at this time was to go back and rebuild the, the temple, temple worship. That's what God wanted. Why? Because God met with men in tabernacle worship to begin with and then temple worship. That's where God would meet with his people in, in this form of worship. So they were sent back to rebuild the temple, and they began to do that under Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the governor of the, of the country. Uh, a man like Ezra came in later on to be a prophet to the people because of his godly situation. Now they began to rebuild the temple, and we saw that in chapter 3. As they rebuilt the temple, they were rejoicing when they laid the foundation. The foundation stones were laid. But remember, some of the people in chapter 3, verse 12, for example, some of the men were disappointed in that they had seen the first temple and they saw this thing. It was minuscule uh, by comparison. It was not glorious like Solomon's temple. There will never be another temple as glorious as Solomon's temple. There were bigger temples. Herod's temple was much larger than Solomon's temple but it was not as glorious as Solomon's temple because God supernaturally worked among the, uh, the builders of that temple. That is, the carvers, he uh, put his spirit upon them. They were able to do ornate carvings that can never be repeated. Uh, recognize that God was doing something glorious here, and the people, some people were upset, some people were happy. But in the process of doing that, uh, the adversaries. Now, the adversaries would have been the individuals. Remember, there were individuals all around Jerusalem who were transplants. They were brought in. That's what the king of Assyria did, the king of Babylon did. They would uh, replace, they would take people from one land, bring them to another. For example, if that happened in the United States, they would send some of us to France, some to Italy, some to uh, Poland. The lucky people would go to Poland, obviously. Um, they would send, they would, and then they'd take some Polish people and bring them here, some Italians bring them here. And what they would do is intermingle the people so that people could not rebel as one group any longer. They could not get together with their brethren to rebel. Why? Because it wasn't enough of their brethren to rebel. There were different peoples from different places. That's why you have what are called the Samaritan people. Remember the Samaritan people. They were, in fact an inbred, in, intermingled people in the northern part of Israel that was part of an Assyrian captivity. Well, recognize now that there, these people began to try to frustrate this temple worship. They did not want it. I, I believe, personally, it was all demonic. Demons were trying to stop the rebuilding of this temple because they did not want the nation of Israel to be rebuilt to reestablish God. Why? Because the seed was going to come through the nation. So 
um, they began to frustrate, and it worked. Look at if chapter 4 now, please. Chapter 4, look if you would, please, in verse 1. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of Israel of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, then uh, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do. And we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Esharhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Joshua and the rest of the heads of the fathers of Israel said unto them, You have nothing to do with us to build an house unto our God, but we ourselves together will build it unto the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, had commanded us. Now what was wrong with allowing these people to come in and help them build? Well, what was wrong is God said not to. It had to be the Levitical priesthood. It had to be uh, the, the, the priest of Israel to rebuild this. And if they allowed a mixture to come in and rebuild it, they would have been going contrary to God's word. So no, you cannot help. And then the people, of course, got upset about this. And the truth is, they had never worshipped the God of Israel. That's the fact. They had never worshipped him, but they were lying about this. All they wanted to do was set a mixture among the people. They were hoping perhaps to get a prophet. Who knows? We do not know that for sure, but what we know is that they, had n they were never part of Jehovah worship, ever. And so the people now began in verse 4, and then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. We don't know what exactly they did. But they stopped the people from rebuilding this temple. And for, ever, for a lengthy period of time, the temple was put on hold. Only the foundation laid there. And notice what happened. And hired counselors against them to frustrate their purposes all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, until uh, the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So they frustrated for several years the work of this temple. And yet they grew fat in the land. They began to build their own houses, and uh, God had to send two more prophets in to re-jumpstart, if you would, the temple worship. And those two prophets are found, please, in chapter 5 and verse 1. Then the prophet, prophets Haggai and the, prof, the prophet and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied unto the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. So along comes Haggai now, and he begins his prophecy. He only prophesied for four months. Zechariah prophesied for a, a while longer. But you recall Haggai said, what are you doing? Why, in fact, are, have you stopped building the house of the Lord to build your own house? You, you're using your money to do everything you want, and God has, has commanded you to give to the building of the work of the Lord. And Haggai went on and on with that, and you can read that in his prophecy. So he prophesied for four months, and when he left off, Zechariah picked up and began to prophesy. And we're going to see a little later on in Ezra that Zechariah's prophecy really in, uh, got Zerubbabel to get going again. So Zerubbabel reinstated the building of the temple. And he did that contrary to the king's commandment, by the way, and which put him in jeopardy, but nonetheless... He obeyed the Lord. Now, the, the, right, it, the building stopped several times along the way, and you can see that as you read the book of Ezra, which we're not going to get into. 
But this sets the stage, if you would, for Zechariah coming on the scene. Now turn with me to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah comes on the scene, and he, of course, he and Haggai are prophesying. Haggai, a contemporary with Zechariah, they are prophesying concerning the rebuilding of the temple to encourage the people. But Zechariah goes beyond just the temple. As I mentioned last time we were together, Zechariah uh, begins to prophesy some incredible, incredible information. And that information has to do with Messiah's going to come back, reinstitute a temple, but that will not happen until Messiah comes back and has to save the entire nation of, of Israel because of enemies coming in. So he's prophesying a huge swath of time, including none other than our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Wonderful, wonderful prophet as he prophesies this. But I want you to realize right away that he begins to bring the people back to remembrance. And we see that beginning in Zechariah chapter 1. We looked at verse 1 the last time we were together. Same greeting Hosea had, I mean Haggai had. Pick it up in verse 2. And the Lord hath been sorely displeased with your fathers. I guess so. <laughs> They've been in captivity. The Lord has been sorely displeased with your fathers. Therefore, say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn now from your evil ways and your evil doings. But they did not hear nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. And you can look back historically to see who was that. Well, that was a Jeremiah, along with the other prophets who prophesied unto Israel, repent, repent of your sin. <coughs> Notice in verse 5, your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, uh, do they live forever? But my word and my statutes, which I command my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your father? And they returned and said, as the Lord of hosts, thought to do unto us according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. So Zechariah calls back to remembrance. Think back about the situation. And you know, that's very healthy to think back. It's very healthy. Recognize there's nothing you can do about the past but learn, right? Nothing you can do about the past but learn from. You can't change it. It's already gone by. And you know, in reality, there's nothing you can do about the future. Your time is now. You can have an impact on your children for the future, but you really can't direct it. Why? Because they're going to do what their heart follows. It could be unto evil or it could be unto good. We, we trust it's unto good. We, we instruct them. So your, your time period is now. But God instructs his people, Israel, to think back, to remember back. And so that's what you and I need to do as well. And I just have a couple of passages I'd like to look at together, if I could, about remembering, because I think this is very, very important for us, for you and I. The New Testament, there's a great theme of remembrance for us. Think back, remember, remember. And I'd like us to look at a couple passages together, so if we can kind of look at this um, together, just really quickly. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. God says, our time is now, 
And he wants us to remember a couple of things so that we will take more full advantage uh, of, of the time we have. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you're very familiar with this section of scripture. This has to do with, of course, communion time. And he says, and, and uh, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 24, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Of course, the same thing about the cup, this do in remembrance of me, communion. Communion. God gives us communion, what? To remember the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, I would never forget him. Yes, you would. That's why God put this in here. I would never forget his sacrifice. Yes, you would. That's why God puts it in here. We have to remember. Remember who you are and whose you are, who you belong to. Remember. Think back. Just like he told the people of Israel, remember your, what happened to your fathers. Remember what happened to your nation. He tells us to remember whose you are. Remember that. How about sanctification? Same thing. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. 1 Timothy 4, 6. Paul is, to, is instructing Timothy what Timothy is to teach the people at Ephesus. Now remember, Timothy's job is immediate, right? This is interesting because Timothy's ministry was a failure. Ephesus fell. They fell like a stone. They did not end up obeying the word of God. But Timothy was not a failure. You, as long as you're serving the Lord, you're not a failure. What God does with that and what people do with that, that's between them and the Lord. But what God does with you, that's what he wants you to do. You, you, you're not going to have an effect on the future because you were wonderful. You'll have an effect on your reward before the Lord because you're serving him. But the future, that belongs to those people who hear that message and who either choose to do it or not choose to do it. Your, your responsibility is right now. And so Paul told Timothy, notice in 1 Timothy chapter 4, um, let's pick it up in verse 6. If you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith, and of good doctrine unto which thou hast attained. Put the brethren in remembrance of this. And that's our job. That's today's job for you and I. Remind. Put the brethren in remembrance. When we come to tell someone about the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we tell them of him and his work. If you get opportunity to speak to them, again, you put them in remembrance of what God's word says. That's our position, our job. That has to do with sanctification. Head with me to 2 Timothy chapter 6. 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and notice 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6 for a moment. 2 Timothy 1, 6. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. He calls Timothy to remember. This is for steadfastness. Remember whose you are. Remember who you are. Uh, I think I told you this story, so please forgive me. I'm just going to run through it quickly. Uh, when, I, when God called me into the ministry, I was working full-time, and God called me into the ministry. I, 
I called up Nancy and I said, I believe the Lord wants me to go to school. She said, okay, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to give my notice tonight. I was working second shift at the time because my company had a great deal of work they needed me to do. So I, 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 I said, I'm going to give my notice tonight and uh, we'll leave. And she said, okay, the Lord will take care of that. So uh, I gave my notice to my boss. He called me crazy, tried to talk me out of it and all kinds of business, but it didn't work anyway. So I, I left my job. I had a part-time job after that. The second week, Nancy ended up in the hospital uh, for a full week with a kidney stone. Uh, oh, we had kids, you know, no income. Now I'm staying home with the kids to help them. My sister only helped out a little bit. Uh, no, nothing uh, coming in. We, we were just, you know, Lord, what would you have us to do? Well, I talked to a couple people, but when I was in school, they gave us two little books to read. And uh, I think they're still available today. Christians You Should Know and Christians with Courage, two little tiny booklets. And when I read those booklets, they talked about the former men like D.L. Moody. Now, you might not agree with everything D.L. Moody did. I understand that. Neither do I. But recognize these men, and we think of them as they were the great men of path. You know, D.L. Moody slept on park benches with snow on them, but he still served the Lord. And when I read that, those things about these great men, I remembered back, see? You remember back the hardships that some men went through, and it puts, it puts some adrenaline in your spine. Listen, if they can do it, I can do it. God did not promise all kinds of roses. And so Paul's talking to Timothy, he said, remember, remember what you were called to. Remember what happened. Don't be weak. And apparently, Timothy was getting weak here, remember? That Paul said, I know whom I have believed in and persuaded he is able to keep that. So Paul's putting some nourishment in the backbone of Timothy and letting Timothy think, remember back when you were first called. And that, sometimes that requires some of what we're doing because we get weak, don't we? we, we, we get, you get frustrated, you get fed up. What's the use? Well, there's a lot of use. Remember, God called you. Remember what he called you to. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Remember who you belong to. So put some strength in your backbone and just get moving ahead. Why? Because you can only affect your life today. So you, you affect your life and you try to be an effect on those round about you. You can't fix the past and you can have an impression on the future, but that's about it. You're not going to dictate the future. What you do now serving the Lord matters. And how about courage? Courage as well. Turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Just because I witnessed to my kids, just because I witnessed to my parents or my neighbors, or just because I, I, I follow the Lord and, and do exactly what he wanted me to do, that doesn't mean those round about me are going to do it. Doesn't mean that at all. That's my prayer, that's my, my trust, that's my hope, my blessed hope, but... Listen, they're going to have to give account for the Lord just like I do. So we're in Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 32 for a moment. He says to those people, But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. I'm reading from a King James Bible. Remember the former days. He's calling them back to courage. Remember the former days. And Peter, he calls them to stability. Remember back. And uh, 
Turn with me, please, to Jude, uh, the fifth chapter of Jude. I mean, the first, uh, fifth passage in Jude, if you would. The fifth passage in Jude. He calls them to remembrance, to remember God's word. Remember what God did in the Old Testament. Remember how he worked in the Old Testament. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Remember what he's like. In Jude, the fifth passage, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Remember, God is just. He's a just judge, and he's going to judge. Remember, remember. And so that's exactly what Zechariah is doing, uh, giving out the word of God, of course, as, he, as he's prophesying. God says, remember Remember your fathers. Remember where you were. Remember what happened here so that you don't begin to make this same error again. Think back. Every once in a while, I have to think back, don't you, about some things? Oh, yeah. I remember doing that, and I remember what happened. <laughs> yeah. I'm not doing that again. You know, that type of thing. And you know what's funny? The older you get, um, you, your mind doesn't accept new information but you can sure remember the things you did in the past. You can remember them quite closely. And so it's not a bad thing to think back, to remember, to remember. And that's exactly what God has called them to. Now turn back with me to Ezra again, please. Turn back with me to Ezra. And there's many, many passages. You can look those up in your, at your own leisure. Get yourself a good concordance and look up the word remember, and you'll see how God used that in the lives of New Testament believers and Old Testament believers as well. Now, we're going to get into a series of visions, and these visions are going to be fun. At least I think they're fun. Uh, a series of eight visions that Zechariah has been given by the Lord. And some of these visions are a little bit complex, as we'll see, and, uh, you know, I, I've been reading, I have probably 10 commentaries on my, on my uh, desk, maybe 12, 15 of them. And as I'm reading, everyone has a little different slant on some of these visions. They're kind of interesting. But they all come to this conclusion, it's in God's word, and he wants us to know something from it. So we want to look at these visions together. The first vision that uh, Zechariah has is some angelic beings. Very interesting. But I want to get to a main point of all these visions, and I think we can do this in the next 10 minutes. What I want you to notice is these visions are given uh, in the present condition. Here's the condition you're in. You're, in. you're back in the land, praise the Lord for that, but you're in a mess in that you're, you stop building the temple to appease the people round about you. You stopped building the temple because you were frightened. You stopped building the temple because the king said so. You just stopped doing what God wanted you to do. God commanded that you go back and rebuild the temple, but you've stopped doing that. So it has to do with the present condition, but it also has to do with uh, a future glory, a future glory that will take place. So uh, not only are you looking at the, the present, but you also need to extend yourself and look for what God is going to do what God is going to do, what God has promised. And so the first of these um, uh, visions, and all the visions appear as if they were in one night. Do you ever have a, uh, a dream or, uh, that 
like it lasts the whole night long, and you wake up startled and you go back to sleep and it starts again. Uh, I've had some of those. I won't tell you what they were, they were weird stuff. But you, you, you know, this guy had that many visions, eight visions in a night. Just imagine that. If you get eight hours worth of sleep, it was an hour for each, uh, each vision here. And what's the first one? He says, upon the fourth and twentieth month of the, um, upon the four and twentieth day of the eleventh month. So this was about three months into his ministry, which was the month Shebat, and the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, in prophecies and the prophet saying. I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom, and behind him were red horses, sorrow and white. So he has a vision about this man with a red horse, and he's in the myrtle trees. Now, that doesn't mean anything to us except this, that the myrtle trees were a, t a type of evergreen tree, and they were in the bottom of the Kidron Valley. Remember, he's in, he's writing to Jerusalem. And what he's writing about is these myrtle trees or these horses, and they're in this valley, which was probably Jehoshaphat's Valley, the Kidron Valley. As you look at the Temple Mount, the Kidron Valley was to the right. Fort Antonio is in the north. The Kidron Valley is to the right. The, uh, what's called the Tyropian Valley, or the Cheesemaker Valley, is to the left. And down the bottom is the Valley of Hinnom, the Gehenna, Hinnom, Hinnom Valley. So he's writing about these horses and horsemen, and they're down in Jehoshaphat's Valley. And what are these horses? Well, there's a great deal of question about uh, these horses, just exactly what do they represent. And one guy said, this represents the Russian army. No, no, no. There was no Russia at the time. This is not a reference to that. It's referencing angelic beings, and you'll see that in a moment. This has to do with angels, and it has to do with an army of angels. Notice what he's doing, please, in uh, picking up in verse uh, 9. Then said I, O oh my Lord, what are these? And the angel who talked with me said unto me, I will show you what these are. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord hath sent to walk to and fro through the earth. And then answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. So these are God's angelic beings. And I want you to notice, verse 11, the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees. Now, we won't go too far with this because we have no proof that this is the, the unique, specific angel of the Lord. But in many cases, when you read about the angel of the Lord, you're talking about the pre-incarnate Christ. Very interesting. It's an interesting study. The context determines it. So every time you read about the angel of the Lord doesn't mean that it is the pre-incarnate Christ, but usually the context will determine that. For example, the pre-incarnate Christ appeared to Hagar in Genesis chapter 16, to Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, to Moses in Genesis chapter 19, and, um, and to Manoah and his wife, for example. The Lord Jesus Christ himself was the angel of the Lord. So you can see that in varied Old Testament texts. 
Whether this is that case or not, I don't know that, because there are some unique specific angels of the Lord mentioned. For example, a Gabriel is mentioned, Michael is mentioned. But this angel of the Lord said, we're there, they were an army ready to do God's will. Right now, the whole earth is sitting still. That is, there's peace, even among you as a nation. But soon, that's going to change. Soon, that's going to change. But God has his army there waiting. Now, it, it's important for us to recognize that because we today can experience that even among ourselves. God's angels are ready to accomplish God's will. And there's nothing you can do to prohibit that. Not a thing. They're going to accomplish God's will, no matter what. And you know, we hear a lot today, and it's kind of spooky stuff among Christendom. It's almost like some spiritism. They talk about angels. You know, I saw an angel in my bedroom. The truth is, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. You ate the wrong stuff. That's all there is to it. And a lot of people want to, you know, they, they think of all this stuff and they're, they're, uh, they, the world has developed little baby angels. There's no such thing. There's nothing in the scriptures like that. But we, we look at them quite differently than God's word says. So we want to be careful. But I'd like to, us to look at a couple of passages, if we could. These red horses are identified as God's army. Let's see that. Head with me to Isaiah 63 for a moment. Isaiah 63. We're coming back, so don't go too far from there. Isaiah 63. Look with me, please, at verse 1. Isaiah 63. These red angels have to do with God's judgment. These red horses, they have to do with a judgment. And that judgment is the red blood, the judgment of blood. For example, in Isaiah 63, you know this passage, but let's look at it. Who is this that cometh from Edom uh, with his garments from Basra? That is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness and mighty to save. Why art thou red in thine apparel and thy garments like him that treadeth the winepress? And God talks about, I have judged, and this is prophetical. It's mentioned in the book of the Revelation as well. I have judged the nations. And Zechariah is going to show us that judgment to come. But what I want you to notice is red in apparel. Now, if you go to the book of the Revelation, I won't have you turn there, but the same um, act appears in the book of the Revelation as well. A red appearance, a red horse. It speaks of judgment. It speaks of slaughter, if you would. So this red uh, in appearance takes place. I want to uh, follow this through for a moment. God's horsemen and horse... Horses are unseen. They are the things that God created that were invisible. And there's a several passages of Scripture that indicate that, both in the Old and New Testament. But let's look at a couple, please. Turn with me to the 34th Psalm. The 34th Psalm. We're talking about now a judgment that takes place in the 34th Psalm. Look at the seventh passage in the 34th Psalm, a wonderful psalm of God's mighty power and working. The 34th Psalm, look at the 7th passage. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about those who fear the, him, and he delivers them. The angel of the Lord encamps round about those that fear him. Now we have a similar passage in the book of Hebrews, do we not? That they're ministering spirits who, shall, who are given to be 
to minister to those who shall be heirs of salvation. God watching over, if you would, his elect. Very interesting passage of scripture. This is the same thing. These people fear the Lord. The angel of the Lord is watching over them, caring for them. This would be the nation of Israel. And I believe the angel of the Lord here mentioned is Michael. Michael is known as Israel's protector, Israel's angel. But God speaks about his army watching over his people. I like that, don't you? You know, I'm out in the woods hunting, and I think uh, I'm here all by myself. There's no deer around. Uh, never get any. Hate that. Just sitting there all by myself. Am I by myself? Well, the truth is there's a myriad of angels around me. Are there demons? Probably. They're the ones scaring the deer away, probably. But, uh, you know, there's a myriad of angelic beings there. And what are they doing? Well, they encamp around believers. So right now in this room, the scriptures tell us that they watch the church. That's even us, right in this room now. They see you when you're sleeping in church. <laughs> and they know when you're awake. Okay, let's go on. Let's go on a little further. Turn with me to the 68th Psalm. The 68th Psalm. The 68th Psalm. Let's look at the 17th verse of the 68th Psalm. God's talking about his army of unseen um, soldiers, if you would. The 68th Psalm, the 17th passage. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. Thousands of angels, thousands of chariots. You recall what happened in 2 Kings, don't you? Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. You're aware of this tremendous, tremendous passage of Scripture. Remember, he, he, uh, Elisha was on the mount with his servant, and, and uh, the, the army was attacking. They were getting ready to come and to capture him. In uh, verse 15 of 2 Kings 6, And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he gets up in the morning, he looks down the hill, and the whole city is surrounded by enemy force coming in to attack them. And he, and he answered him, Elisha said, Fear not, for they who are with us are more than they that were with him. You know, he's looking around. He doesn't see anything. All he sees is this attacking army. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha, God's army, God's army. So no matter what happens, God has his army surrounding us. Sometimes he lets people break through that army, doesn't he? But it's all for his perfect will. It's always for his perfect will. He's not always going to protect you. So I was driving down the street and swerved and just missed the car and I was protected. Yeah, that time. <laughs> all of us have experienced a time when we weren't protected, right? So we want to be careful we don't go out on a limb with some very silly stuff about angels or about, uh, you know, about... No one can harm me. No one can harm me unless the Lord allows them to break through. But if the Lord doesn't allow them to break through, no one's going to harm me. No one at all. 
So recognize that there's an army out there. They're called God's servant. Uh, it's an unseen conflict. We won't take time to look at this, but remember in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel's praying. And for 21 days he was praying. And God sent one of his messages to answer Daniel's prayer, and a demon interferes. And that angel calls for help, and Michael comes and helps that angel against the demonic powers. And the angel said to Daniel, when you started praying 21 days ago, God sent me, but I've been in a battle ever since. That's an unseen battle. We don't know anything about it. We have no clue. Did you ever pray for something and then quit? Why? Because well, it didn't answer. Well, maybe there's some unseen battles going on there. You need to keep praying. You need to keep praying. You need to keep asking the Lord. God's going to do something according to his perfect will. So recognize there's an unseen battle going on. These angels, remember, they're patrolling the earth. They're walking up and down and going to and fro in it. And what the first vision that uh, Zechariah gets is God's army is here. Israel might have felt alone, right? Here we are in this land, and all that's around us is the enemy, and they all want us to quit building the wall, and here we are hopeless and helpless, and there's nothing for us. Well, wait a minute. God's army's waiting right there. God's army's waiting for you. And what's so interesting is God's army, God's ministries, ministers are just waiting for his command. Right now, right this moment today, the book of Revelation tells us there's angels in the Euphrates River. There's angels. In. What are they doing? Waiting. For what? For God to say it's time to dry it up. We read that in the book of the Revelation. It's fascinating, isn't it? God's army is ready to do his will. Whenever he calls on them to do it, that's exactly what's going to happen. There's one more battle to come that we know of, and that will be Michael and his angels will fight against the devil and his angels, and Satan will be kicked out of the heavens. He'll be forced to be on earth. So God wants us to realize, and he wanted his people through Zechariah to realize, listen, God's sovereign, God's in control, his army's waiting, you just do what I tell you to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this first vision that tells us that God's angels walk to and fro throughout the earth. And Father, we need not fear. They are ministers, ministers of yours. They're the ones that you have chosen to encompass, to surround and to protect your people according to your perfect will. So, Father, we pray that you'd help us as we look at this book of Zechariah, that we would indeed become challenged by it, that we would recognize that whatever things were written in earlier times were written for our learning, that we, through comfort and hope and faith in the word of God, might have peace. Thank you for this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.